Mark chapter 1, verse 16. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said, Come after me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Then when he had gone a little further from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. Now let me just interject. If you've missed Tuesday nights, on Tuesday nights we've been going through the Gospels. And let me just quickly interject this. If you will read, take time to read the Gospel of John. When you get to the baptism of Jesus in John chapter uh, three there, uh, Jesus leaves, um, uh, or, or John says, or excuse me, John chapter one and two, but uh, the baptism of Jesus, and it, it makes a statement says, the next day, Simon and Andrew come to Jesus, then Nathan and uh, Nathaniel, and, and then these people start following Jesus, John and James, and, and they're following him, and then Two days, uh, two days later, they're with him. And then the third day, they're at the marriage feast of Canaan. And last week, I introduced Jesus to you a little bit as a rabbi. We're going to walk back through that quickly this morning. But Jesus as a rabbi, so when he comes to be baptized by John, he's coming as a rabbi being baptized at the age of 30, which is your ordination. At that time, you're baptized. And so these guys see Jesus, and John says, there's a, you need to go, John says to his disciples, you need to go follow him and make him your teacher. You need to come under his yoke and his teaching. And so Jesus is there being baptized. But So what you see right here in, in the call of Mark, Mark is a uh, highlight guy. He's like, he, he, Mark's gospel is like an outline. Okay, It's like a, a condensed, condensed, reader digest version condensed gospel. Okay, It's just a high point. Boom, 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 boom. Whereas you read Luke and Matthew, they're the, foot, they're the amplified versions, okay? fully expanded versions. Okay? And then John is the ushy-gushy version. John's the love God. It's just everything, Jesus, and they're all hugging, they're cool, all right? All right? So anyway, but in Mark here, what you get is that the disciples have already been with Jesus. They've already heard him teach. They understand he's a rabbi. They understand, they've seen him do his first miracle. They've been with him to Samaria and that. And so all this before he calls them. So they understand who he is as a rabbi before he calls them. And so when they hear that call, they're not just, this isn't their first, it's not, it's not like Jesus and they'd never met him and they just walked by, hey. And they just go, okay, just, just out of nowhere. It's not that. That when you understand who he is and what's transpired, and so we took some time on Tuesday nights and went through it because there's this, this parenthesis here because if you read Matthew and Luke, in Matthew's Gospels and Luke's Gospel, Jesus is baptized at the end of chapter 3. Chapter 4 in both Gospels starts like this. He's baptized immediately. The Spirit sends him into the wilderness. Well, no. Because John says the first day after, the second day after, the third day after. So it's not immediately, it's sometime after. Are you with me? 
But they skipped all that. So John brings in this whole detail of things that's going on there after his baptism and the disciples introduced him. Actually, if you get in Matthew, you find out that Jesus is in Peter's house when he goes down into Capernaum. He stays in Peter's house. He heals his mother-in-law before Jesus ever calls him. To be his disciple. So they're, 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 they're introduced. They know here's this rabbi who's come that has this authority. And they know who he is. Amen? Amen. Turn with me to Acts chapter 8. And so when he comes and he calls them, for him to hear, we're going to touch it again. For, him, for them to hear him say, follow me, is the words that they would hope they would hear their whole life. And when they heard those words, they're words that they thought they would never hear. Because if you go through the school of rabbi, somewhere along the if you are a fisherman, somewhere along the line you didn't make the grade to become a rabbi. So you had to go back to your family. You had to learn the family business. You had to have children. And you had to transfer your desire to the next generation. Are you with me? And so with that, when they hear them, they thought, this is something I would never, I never thought there would be a rabbi, especially a rabbi with authority who would come and say to me, follow. Acts chapter 8 and verse 3. This is after the stoning of Stephen. Philip, who was one of the, uh, of the deacons, one of the first deacons who was chosen, he wasn't an apostle. When they said, choose you out from among you, they're, having, they're, they're feeding and ministering to the widows and the poor, and then everybody's fighting over the food and doing that stuff, doing the normal Christian stuff, not getting along. And the apostle says, we're not even brave enough to go there. So he said, you get six guys... And we'll put them over that. And so Philip was one of the six that they call, get six men full of faith, full of the Holy Ghost, and have a good report, and we will appoint them over this matter, and, and they can resolve the confusion and the bickering and the fighting amongst the believers, and then we'll get back to doing what we're called to do, pray and teach the Word. And so Philip, after Stephen gets out, Stephen is one of the seven that's chosen, and then he is also... He goes out and he's doing signs, wonders, and miracles. And then he's brought in and he's examined. And you can read in, in Acts 7, he gives this whole account. And, and then he's stoned. And then that creates a great dispersing of the church. And then you get to Acts chapter 8. When the church is dispersed, it says Philip goes down. Look at Acts chapter 8 and verse 3. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached what? What did he preach? He preached Christ to them. Philip went down to the city of Samaria, watch this, and he preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord, heeding the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did, for unclean spirit crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. Philip went down, and if you would, if you're going to preach Christ, you have to preach who he is. You have to declare who He is. So not only did they just say, well, let me tell you about the Lord Jesus. They, they didn't, just come, didn't just come start talking the gospel or start talking scriptures. They came, let me tell you who I am. And if He goes down there, He is now a follower, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's come under the following of Jesus. Amen? Amen. And so now He is declaring, this is who He is. This is how He was born. So they go through the birth of Jesus. And then they go through the whole process of Him becoming a rabbi. His whole 30 years of training. You did not become a rabbi at 22 if you had an exceptionally high IQ. 
We have kids today that, that are genius level. And so maybe you were a genius level. I'm sure they have geniuses. We didn't just invent them in the 20th century. And so people have always had high IQs. And, and so even if, even if you excelled above, 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 beyond every class and you were ever, you know, and you were in the special, special, special class. Okay. You still did not graduate into, you were not, you could not be ordained to be a priest or a, not a priest, but a rabbi teach until you were 30. And so Philip is going to take them all the way through the life of Christ. And then when they say, not only did he become a priest, this is who he is. This is my rabbi. This is the one whose teaching I've come under. This is the yoke that I'm following. Not only that, but he was one with confirmed authority. And then not only was he one with confirmed authority, but he is a rabbi who came declaring a new covenant. And that's what I'm declaring to you. And then to confirm that the covenant is for today, then God would confirm His word with signs following, and He would validate the covenant by signs, wonders, and miracles. Are you with me today? And so Philip didn't make stuff up. But he just completely... And so if you were following, you went back and you went through the process. Look at the cover of your outline, if you would, with me. And I'm going to go through this rather quickly and just read through it, not to recap too much, Lord willing. As we follow the life of Christ as revealed through the Gospels, we come across a man who places a demand upon those with whom he comes in contact with. You find him ask, making no apologies or having inner reservations when it comes to calling people to follow him and to receive his yoke and burden. If Jesus says to you, follow me, today as Christians were said to believe on him. Jesus never asked anybody to believe on him. He asked people to follow him. And when you ask him to follow him, then you say, okay, I'm going to learn of you. You're going to teach me. I'm going to become your disciple. And I'm going to come under your teaching, which is called your yoke or your burden. Wherever, the question is, where does he get the authority to make such a request? What right does he have to ask him to forsake and follow? What right does he have to change the way they've been taught? How many of you have ever come to church and heard something that challenges what you were raised to believe? Okay, Jesus did that in everybody's face every day. The Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, I say. You've heard it said, I say. You've heard it said. You were raised your whole life believing this. And so now the challenge is, wait, 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 wait. You're, we take that personal. It's not personal. You didn't teach yourself. You just believe that. And so the enemy makes you take it personal. And so when you hear something that comes as truth, if you've taken it personal, now you're going to fight to defend the lie and deny the truth. Now the question is, who's getting ripped off? Okay, anyway. So some will question today, what right? So what gives this rabbi more authority than others? <clears throat> Some ask the question today, what right does Jesus have to make a request of us? So we have to understand that we are not a separate entity from the Word. But we've been grafted into the root of the Word of God. Our faith and our lifestyle must be lived in agreement with the Word, not the traditions of men or their institutions. So many times, maybe you were raised... You, you talk to people, are you a believer? I was raised... Fill in the blank. I was raised this. I was raised that. Good. Are you a believer? I was raised. Good. Do you know the Lord? I was raised. 
Didn't ask that. Are you with me? So in that, it's easy for us. And, and now, if, if anybody challenges how you were raised. Ooh. Amen? Whether it's the truth or not. Mama said what Grandpa said. And Grandpa said what Great Grandpa said. And so on. Our family has always believed this way. Does that mean they were right? Only if it lines up with truth. Not if somewhere down the line it has been added to or taken away from. Jesus said it like this. Jesus said this. You through your traditions have made the Word of God of no effect. And so for us today, when the Word of God comes to us, when we read our Bible, this should still work today. But the only way for it to work is for us to come under somebody who truly teaches that, and that's who Jesus Christ is. So we come bring ourselves back under the teaching of the Word. You've heard me said when God sent us to Bieber in 1983 there, God sent us to pastor people who were of a totally different persuasion than us. They were raised one way. I was raised this way. I had experiences that they didn't think were for today. But I said, wait a minute, my experiences are in the book. I have Bible encounter. I've had this experience with God. And so I said, let's do this. Hey, let's just agree to read the Bible. We've all been raised. Good people taught us. We trusted them. But let's read the Bible. And by God sending me there, I had to go back and read the book and find out whether I was a parrot or a voice. God, am I just saying what I've been told? Or or have I studied to know that I'm declaring truth, not just a generational tradition that's been handed down? And so it caused me to go back to the book and search so that I would know that I know that I'm not making this stuff up. And, and, and that's what a true disciple does, is that you came under the authority. Now watch this. And, uh, until you became a teaching rabbi, until you were ordained into your own ministry, okay, and sent out to, be, to teach, you could not teach anything except what your rabbi taught. You can get to have your opinion. of Yeah, but I think the word says this. Okay, back of the class. You haven't earned the right to say anything yet. And then unless you became a rabbi with authority, you still could only teach what you were taught. You couldn't add to or take away. You couldn't interpret. Are you with me? So if you taught, then you just handed that down. And then you handed that down. Now if what was handed down to you had been an aberration, if it had been moved off course... Okay. How, how many have ever fired a, 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 a rifle with a scope on it? Okay. How many have ever tried to ha- sighted one in? Okay. Now, and so if, if you're off, it's amazing because like on a scope, it'll have these clicks. One click is a quarter, one click is a quarter of an inch at 100 yards. So if it's a quarter of an inch at 100 yards, what is it at 200 yards? What is it at 300 yards? What is it at 400 yards? So if you just get one click off in your truth, you just get one click off in your doctrine, you just get one click off in your, in your tradition, when you get 100 years down the road, 200 years down the road, 300 years down the road, how far off are you? 
And somewhere, if you're that far off, then there's a big space between the target and what you believe. So now you've got to fill up a bunch of junk to verify being this far off. Could I get an amen this morning? So, so with this, so Philip goes down and preaches Christ to them. And Jesus just came back and went, don't get mad at me. I'm just getting you back on target. Because this is who you are. This is your heritage. You are God's chosen people. And somewhere you've gotten off track. So I'm calling you back to repentance is a return to and coming back to. I'm bringing you back into truth. I'm bringing you back into line with God. I'm putting your life back on target so that you hit God. Expect it in for your life. Because Jeremiah, we quote it all the time. Jeremiah 29 11. Behold, I know my thoughts towards you. Thoughts for good. And, and not of evil, and to give you a hope, and to give you a future, and to bring you to my expected end for your life. So God would send His prophets. God would send His teachers. When the people got off, He would readjust their sights back on to the truth. So that we would hit the target of God's expected end for our life, which is eternal fellowship and glory with Him. Somebody ought to give God a good praise this morning. Amen? So Philip goes down and preached Christ. Now when you understand this, you begin to understand why people would embrace the Lord the way they did. Why multitudes would come to hear. Because what's being taught? How I many? Even, even in our society today, when, when we went to our first place in ministry, we went there as associate pastors and to run the Christian school, and in the first church business meeting that we were there, they had a constitution bylaws, and, and, and they erased items A through N. And these were things you couldn't do if you wanted to be a member of the church. And so how many know that was a burden? One of them was you couldn't go bowling. Because the bowling alley had a bar in it. And so you couldn't get that close to the bar. And there were certain things you couldn't have in your medicine cabinet. I mean, it was, it was I'm sitting there, dude. Who, now watch what, who could live up to this? You kind of read, you, you, by the time you get to F, A through N, well, sign me up, I'm failing already. So, so watch what, so when Jesus said, watch what, so when Jesus says, my burden is easy and my yoke is light, he's lifting that off of you. And so tradition, we're raised and we're hearing this stuff. And so to be, and, and so you've talked to people, man, if I become a Christian, I have to do this, I have to do that, I have to do this, I have to do that. No, you get not to do that. You, you, you no longer have, you're no longer a slave to sin. You're no longer bound by sin because all your life you've been trying to quit that and you can't. When you come to Christ, He sets you free and you no longer need to do that to be satisfied. The desire goes, the... And so you erase the whole list with just Christ. Amen? And you just enter in. I thought we would get through this. Maybe not. Okay, tradition. So what? God is constantly confirming His Word to us. And watching His Word, I challenge you, stay on contact with the news. I don't have time to go back through it from last week. But what God did with Israel, and I shared with you last week how God right now is confirming a 2,600-year-old 
prophecy from Jeremiah 31.5 in the vineyards that are on the hills of Samaria. I sat next to the man at the, at the summit and God ordained he was supposed to be over there with the people eating the kosher meal and he's over here with the heathen. <laughs> Sitting between me, me and Chris and we're eating blood meat with hell. <laughs> Amen. So it was awesome. Amen. But God, and then they come, shouldn't you be over there? He goes, no, I'm where I'm supposed to be. I said, yes, you are. Amen. So God ordained to me, but he begins to share the fulfillment of this prophecy with us. And I, I said, wait, stop. You're telling me that Jeremiah, what God said 2,600 years ago, did you, you're doing that right now? It's coming to pass? Right now? Yeah, we're, I said, well, wait. You're telling me. Yes. So anytime you see God confirming His word to Israel, it should cause you to stand up. God, if you will keep your word that's been laying dormant for 26 years, I may have been waiting three weeks. I may have been waiting three months. I may have been waiting three years. I may have been waiting 15 years. But that seed is still alive and your promise to me is true. And just as sure as you'll bring to pass a 2,600-year-old promise, you'll bring your promise to pass in my life. When's my healing coming? It's done. It's just, you just wait. Listen, you're healed. You're waiting for the manifestation. How many know those vineyards were already on the hills of Israel, of Samaria, when God said they would be planted again? The vineyards were there the moment He said it. They just didn't see it come to pass until the appointed time. So when you come up for a healing, when you come up for an answer to prayer, consider it done. That's why Jesus said, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them when you pray and then just wait people say what are you doing standing doesn't look like it's working shut up standing shut up's in the Greek you need to speak Greek more often especially to voices of doubt Amen? All right, quickly, quickly. Quickly. I helped somebody, praise the Lord. Awesome. Amen. Watch it. When we understand the history of the root, you and I, and, and I'm sitting there talking to this man, and, and it rises up in me. God, I've known all this, I've seen this, but you've given me this man. And I wrote this down. I wrote some notes to myself. I have not met a people who have religion. Or I put the, I've met a people who do not have religion about God, but a heritage in God. You know what we have today? People say, how come there's so many denominations? Because it's everybody's religion about God. How come, there, how come there's so many different churches? Because so it's everybody's view about God. This is what God today does today. This is what He doesn't do. That's your view. These people don't have a, a view. They don't have religion. They said, our heritage is God. We, we, we don't come to God. We came from God. And, it's, it's, and you go, whoa. And it gets in. You go, wait a minute. And then they go, we, we didn't buy the land. 
We didn't even ask for the land. God brought us into the land and gave us this land in covenant. And He married us to the Lamb. And therefore, when we, what, 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 when we and the land come together, the land is fruitful and multiplied. Anybody else who comes on, the land is not their bride. So when any other nation tries to marry itself to the land of Israel, any occupying territory tried to come in and take the land of Israel, it is barren. And it does not produce. But when the bride and the groom come together, glory to God. Which is right, right now, if you go into the deserts of the Negev desert, even the desert is flourishing. Because Israel's married to the land, and the marriage is to be fruitful and to multiply. Amen? Now, quickly. I'm already out of time. Almost. Quickly. Amen. Church should be eight hours long. We should have coffee breaks and lunch. And come back. I think it's in the Bible somewhere. I'll find it. Now watch. As I said during the thing, every Hebrew boy was trained by the age of five to, know the, to be able to recite the Hebrew alphabet. And then the best, by age six, would have also memorized the book of Leviticus to quote it. Amen? And then the second stage at age six, would be the Bet Safar, which means that you go to the school of the Bible or the house of the book. And I want to thank Brother Adrian. I, I, I misspelled everything last week, and he sent me and got me straight. So everything in here is correct. <laughs> Amen. Now watch, watch, watch. And when you go to the school of the book, on the first day, you would have a slate for memorization. You're in your slate. And the teaching rabbi of the Torah would do this. He would take honey and he would smear it upon the slate and upon your hands. And he would say this over you. Now class, lick the honey off of your slate and your fingers. And as you did this, the rabbi would say, may the words of God be sweet to your taste and sweeter than honey to your mouth. And so before you began your study, you had this encounter. And so God and His Word and their view of God's Word is different than most of the American culture. Are you with me here today? And so we come into this encounter with God. And what I'm telling you is that when you understand this, this is what Jesus is going through. He's learned this. He's doing all this to get to this place. And so every person went through this. And then by age 12, they're required uh, to memorize somewhere between 13 and there uh, and 14. They're required to have memorized all of the Torah, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Memorize. Memorize. Now, I won't ask for a show of hands. <laughs> Anybody got Genesis done yet? Mo I I've heard people say, I just can't memorize the word. You can tell me the sports stats. There's something that you're interested in that you can memorize. And before, be, be, before your phones had phone books in them where you just push somebody's name and it called them, you memorize phone numbers. Anybody know your driver's license number? Okay, you have a memory. 
You know your social security. I mean, it, we know. I, know. I know numbers. I know things. I know addresses. I know this. I know that. So we use it. We just haven't learned the benefit of using it towards God's word. And applying it there. So what, the, what he's saying is, may, may the word of God become so sweet to you that you desire it so much that you want to consume it. And receive it into partake of it. Amen. And so they get there, and then at the end, if you read Luke chapter 2 and verse 46, Jesus is in the temple, and they're, they're, they're asking him questions, he's answering back. So the way that worked, and, and the illustration Adrian gave me is this, is that if I asked Austin, I said, what is 2 plus 2? He would not say 4. He would say, what is 8 minus 4? What is 16 divided by 4? And so it's the art of answering a question with a question. That's why they never let Hebrew people on jeopardy. <laughs> Amen. So then if you make it through there from age 12 to 30, the next 18 years... You go to Bet Talmud, which is the school of discipleship. So you go from the house of the book to the house of learning for the next 18 years. There are five stages there that you pass through. If you pass the first, you went on to the second. And if you failed anywhere along the line, again, the rabbi says to you, go home, engage in the family business, have children, and may your sons pray. May your sons become rabbis. At age there, you memorize, watch what, by age 12 to 14, you memorize the rest of the scriptures through Malachi. Okay, so just take your finger back before Matthew just a little bit. Okay. Got it. Teenagers going, oh, I got a test this weekend. <laughs> Amen. Homework. 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 How do you graduate? Each, each phase, you, you had to accomplish each phase or else you were sent home to the business and to pray for your desire to be upon your children. Are you with me? Now stay with me. So if you make it to that, you get to Bet Midrash, which is... When discipleship begins, and you would approach a rabbi and ask to attend his house of study, saying this, I want to be your Talmudin, your student, your disciple. If he accepts, you would say to him, Bo halak akar, which means come and follow me. So someone would come to you. How many know you can read in the scripture where somebody said, Lord, I want to follow you. And Jesus will try to discourage him. I don't have any place to lay my head. No, Lord, da, 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 da. Or else, other place, he would say, come and follow me. And then they would say, what? Let me first. And last week, we had that altar call. And some of you are still wrestling with that. Because that's most of where we are. We, we, we hear about God, we get excited. But then as soon as we sense God pulling on us, our first response is, let me first. Let me raise my family. Let me do this. Let me get my job scared. As soon as I get this, as soon as I get all my ducks in a row, then I will follow you. Amen? And then somewhere down the line, we realize, wow, I missed a golden opportunity. So he asks you to follow. And, and you would leave everything to be placed under the yoke of his teaching. 
Which means if he said, yeah, you would leave family, you would leave your community, you would leave everything that was familiar to you, everything, and you would go and be with this rabbi and you would be completely under him. Now I'm telling you all this because this is when you hear Jesus and he's saying the same thing. He says nobody can be my disciple unless he leaves his family, unless he leaves his father, his mother, his children, his wife, his home, and da 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 and follows me. You cannot be my disciple. Are you with me? But I want you to see when, now what? He is calling you. He went through the whole process. And now he is calling you to come under him as, his, as your rabbi and go through the same process so you can be his representative as a person of authority under his yoke in the earth. And there's no, if you, if you want to reach that place, the church today doesn't like that thought of coming under authority and going through the process. We are a nation of quick. We're a nation of quick. We're a nation of circumvent and cut corners. Here, there, there's no circumvent. You come under and at the appointed time, then you're ordained and then you're sent out and you're recognized to have authority. Are you with me? Okay, so what? So, then people, and then you would akavat, which means to follow in his footsteps. And then if somebody saw you and you were a disciple, the blessing that you would give to a disciple is this. May you be covered in the dust of the feet of your rabbi. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Which meant that when a teaching rabbi came to town, he'd be coming to town. Come here, you, you guys, you teenagers, get, get behind me, watch this, watch this. Come here, Ollie, come on, hurry up. Okay, what? So, if I'm a rabbi and I come to teach, these guys are behind me. And they're fine. And so, they've come into relationship with me. I'm teaching them. They are under my yoke. And they're following me. And your desire is that you so become like him that, that if I went, Amen. If I pulled Altoids out of my pocket and did this, they'd look at each other. We've got to get Altoids. Keep them in our pocket. There's a reason he does that. If we're going to be, we've got to get Altoids in your pocket. And so we'd say to each other, okay, thank you, sit down. But you would, you would emulate, and your goal, watch what, your goal was to become like Anybody read in the, in, anywhere in the scriptures that we're being transformed into the image of the Lord? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And so you go through this process of transformation, and this is who I was. But I am now, why? I am now, my identity was in my life before, but now that I've come to Him, and I am a Talmudian, Talmudian, now that I am a disciple, and I am following then I am becoming like Him. My new identity is to be like Him. Are you with me? And so when Jesus comes, and the disciples are, and then He said, may, may His dust of your rabbi be upon you. 
May, may, may you stay close, so close behind me that while he's walking the streets, not paved street, but dirty street. How many of you ever been on a trail behind somebody and they're stomping up the dust, ridden a bike behind somebody, and you try to get to the front of the pack? You don't. But the blessing was to have the dust that was kicked up by his feet to rest upon you. It meant that you were close enough to him, that there wasn't a space or a gap. You weren't drifting apart. You weren't casually pursuing, but you were connected. I'm just saying... What if something about this principle once again got a hold of God's people? Where we said, Lord, I love you and I've given my life to you. And it's so important that you accept Christ as your Savior. But beyond that, you need to become His disciple. Where you say, Lord, I'm going to follow you. So that He can at some point send you out. Are you with me? All right, let let me give you the rest of this. At age 30, then, and let me just say, Jesus, um, when you're ordained, man, when you're ordained, you receive an authority that is called Semika. And that's the correct spelling this week. And this determined whether you would be a rabbi with or without authority. And what it means is that, that as you were going through that as you were excelling, people would recognize your achievement. And Jesus so excelled that at age 30, when you go through your ordination process and, and you're being confirmed as a rabbi, people should have stood up, somebody should have stood up for him. Those who he was under should have recognized, and there should have been two voices that confirmed this is a rabbi who has excelled above all others. And he has earned the right through the process to speak to us as God's people as a voice of authority in our lives. Are you with me? He, he, in his memorization, in, in, all that he, in all of the steps, he has excelled to the play that he must be recognized. And he, deserves, he has earned the honor. Are you with me? To be a rabbi of authority. But when he came to his baptism, nobody would recognize him. Now watch. Because to recognize him would be to say that I have to come under him. And I have been a rabbi of a limited authority, and now he has come with a higher authority. And if I acknowledge him and I recognize him, I will have to now come under his authority. That never goes well then or now. What, the, the number one thing you will wrestle with, wrestle with in your life, deciding to be a Christian, however you want. Here's the deal. People say, I'm a Christian. And then you define that any way you want. To me, a Christian means to do this. And then we throw this phrase on there. Oh yeah, I know, but God knows my heart. That is now my license to be anything I want to be. But we're called to be a disciple, which is a follower that is so close to him, as dust is upon us. And then we get to that place, then there's some place where there's that transfer. And, and, and then when you're under there, now why? Then Jesus would send you out. And, and if, the, if, if your rabbi sent you out, you would go out in the name of your rabbi. You would go out state, stating the authority of his yoke and his teaching. You just repeated, but you were fully covered by his authority. 
Isn't it amazing that when Jesus gave us the Great Commission, He says, all power and authority has been given to me. Go in my name. And He sends you out. Turn to the last page of your outline. I don't have time to finish all this. Wait, wait. Go, go to the bottom of page 2. I want you to see this. Right in the middle, bottom of page 2. Rabbis with authority were rare. Without authority, all they could teach was what was handed down to them by their rabbi. Repeat what they heard. Jesus would say or repeat what he heard his father say. He never strayed from his authority, never made up his own authority. Hear this statement. Too many today assume authority that has not been earned or ordained. Too many in the body of Christ today and around play are declaring an authority they have never earned or been ordained to. People want to prophesy to people, speak to people, direct people's eyes. You have no authority. They would ask Jesus, the, the, the Pharisees would come, by what authority or by what name? By what authority, by what name are you doing this? Well, dude, you, should, you know where I was. You know where I went to school. You should have been one of the voices that confirmed my authority. And that's why when Jesus was asked that, he always went back to the baptism of John because John the Baptist spoke as a pro recognized prophet of God. He spoke on his behalf. And then because nobody else was wise enough to speak up, the Father spoke on his behalf. So he had the two voices of confirmed authority. Are you with me? So hear me. Too many follow because they're looking for the... And these voices, people follow them because they're looking for the easiest yoke that they can find, even if it's a lie. There are a lot of easy yokes out there. Come on, what I'm preaching you today is not an easy yoke in terms of Christianity. It's not a just pray the prayer, okay, you're good to heaven, here's your ticket. But it's a call. God's calling you. There's a come on. Jesus says, come and follow me. And if we come to him, he gives us, and I don't know how to say this correctly, all these years of pastoring, we come to Christ, but we're still under these yokes. And life is pushing on us. If I could ever leave that and step in that place of trust and just really follow, a lot of that gets broken off. But there's, there's such a fear of leaving. And, and even, you can find it, this maybe isn't the best illustration, it's the only one coming to mind, is that you find people that are in abusive situations and you're trying to encourage them to get out. And even though it's abusive and it's abnormal, it's painful, it's familiar and it's some kind of a perverted way safe, and the fear of not knowing where I would go, even if it means leaving that behind somehow, I keep drag, gravitating back to, what are you doing back there? And there's something, and so when we come to Christ, it, there's something about that old, sin is a yoke. You, you've been delivered from the yoke and the slavery to sin. And nothing we ever found ever set us free there, but it became familiar. It became some kind of a perverted way, safe. And we gravitate back. I come to Christ. He liberates me. He sets me free. And I'm free for a moment, but something, there's this weird vacuum that pulls us back. If you ever say, wait a minute. That's why that other side of Christianity is this. 
is that I didn't, the only way to deny yourself, guys, is to die. That guy has to die. So that I can be raised up in newness of life in him and under him. And there live under his name and live under his authority. And then I can go and I can spread his yoke. Amen? Bill, if you'll come back. Would you bow your head to me this morning? Nicole, what's that young man's name? That you, Shane Willard. Nicole told me about a young minister named Shane Willard. And I logged on to his site and looked at him. You go to shanewillard.org. It has some great teaching on there. Um, but teaching on Hebrew culture. The young man in, went to a rabbi in, in school and went back and was trained, came under a rabbi, was trained in the whole Hebrew culture spent years there. So I just back in teaching like this on understanding the gospel through Hebrew culture. And that. And when you hear truth, when you begin to understand, I guarantee if you'll study this with me and begin to think about that. Now when you read your scriptures and you hear Jesus say certain things, the way he talked and what he said, how he talked, and what he said begins to make sense. But as I said earlier, God, Jesus came to do two things. He came with authority. And then in that authority, he presented a new covenant. You don't have to keep your head bowed. I started talking again. You listen to me. Just stay with me just for a moment. Just for a second. Okay, two seconds. But God comes and offers you covenant. Remember, remember the Last Supper. Jesus said, this is my body, and this is my blood, and this is the covenant that I'm making with you. Chris, come here quickly. Put this coat on. If you, put it on. If you decide today, say, you know what, I'm not a Christian, I'm away from God. I've never given my life to God, but today I decided to become a Christian. Then this, become a Christian, a believer, this is what it means. Jesus offered you a covenant. Offers you a covenant. He calls you into the new covenant. And this is probably, he, he said, we're fulfilling the old, and then we're establishing a new that's based on better promises. But a covenant is agreement that you made. And if Christian and I were two people and we wanted to make covenant... Typically, a weaker would make covenant with a stronger. Okay? So Chris is coming to me. He recognizes that I am stronger, so he knows it's to his benefit to make covenant with me. Because in covenant, everything that I am now becomes his. So the first thing you do in covenant, we agree that we'll enter the covenant, so we take off our coats. Okay? And your coat is not just your fashion statement. Your coat is signifies everything that you are. This is you. So when Elisha, Elijah came to Elisha and threw his coat upon him, Elisha knew exactly what it meant. That the prophet, I'm being called to be a prophet. 
That's the mantle of the prophet. That's the coat of the prophet. And so you knew exactly what that meant. So in covenant, you begin, you would exchange coats. And now we have exchanged identities. And he is wearing my coat of my authority and all that I am. And I am wearing his. Nothing I have is any longer mine. And nothing he has is any longer his. The second thing we do is take off our belts. It's alright if they fall I'll cover you. We're in covenant. We would exchange belts. Okay. Now wait. Your belt was also not a fashion statement. Your belt signified your authority. And he has more than I do. I have more than he does. It's all right. It's all right. You need more. So anyway. But your belt carried your weapons. Your belt carried your weapons. Now watch, 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 watch. Everything I am is now His. All my authority, all my power. Everything I possess is now His. I possess healing. He has just put on His healing. I possess provision. He has just put on His provision. I possess authority. He has just put on authority. When you and I, when we come to Christ, you trade coats with Christ in covenant. And then once you trade coats, then the next thing you do, and I skip this, is that there you would have a group of witnesses. And at each stage, people would say, I agree. I agree. So through each process, you would have been agreeing with us. And then not only that, you would have elders of the city there to witness it as well. To hold you accountable that you, were, that you were tried to back out. No, we had authority and the witnesses saw you. That's why Jesus said, that's why it's so important for you to get saved publicly. The devil wants you to get saved with no witnesses. Don't let anybody, don't let anybody know you gave your life to Christ in case you want to back out. Nobody will know you broke your vow to God. Are you with me? So I get it. Then the next thing we do is we quote the blessings and the curses of Deuteronomy to each other. You go first. <laughs> Deuteronomy 28. Start out. Go ahead. All right. Anyway. Anyway. So on our behalf, we would get somebody to read them for us. Okay. And then after that, after we quote them, we would exchange that vow. And then what we do is we join hands and we say, and we commit our vow. We commit and we vow what we will do one for each other. Amen? And then after that, after we've made that vow, then we take and we cut our, slice our hands right here. Cross the palm of your hand, make a slice. Not a gap, but just enough so blood flows. Then we join hands again, and in that we join our blood to that. Amen? And in that blood, we're sealed together. And then, and then when that scar heals, it's not just a scar. It is His name 
written in my hand. Hello? It's his name written in my hand. So every time I see my hand, I see his name. And in covenant, we exchange names. He is now Chris Spencer, Chris Pritchard Spencer. I am now Donald Spencer Pritchard. We're Pritchard Spencer, Pritchard, we're brothers. And if you come to me with an accusation against him, I'm sorry I can't hear you. His name is in my hand. And when Thomas says, Lord, I can't believe until I see the scar in your hand. Jesus shows up. He says, Thomas, son, your name is in my hand. When you come to Christ, your name is in his hand. You put on all that he is. I'm leaving some parts out, but you put on all that he is. There's an animal sacrifice. You walk in the blood together. After that, there is the bread. And you feed each other the bread. The purpose of the bread is because this isn't something you just put on the outside. This is something that's inside of you. You're here today and you say, I'm a Christian. If you are, then you're saying, Jesus, I will exchange coats with you. I will give you all that I am. And he says, I will give you all that I am. How many know when you understand that it's going to elevate your prayer life? How many know when you're trying to believe God, it's going to elevate your faith life? And we've left this so much out of this in, in our churches today. I love covenant. And I know I'm taking longer. But the other part is, is that every time you make a mistake, the Bible says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. And every time you've made a mistake, you know what happens? The enemy tries to go before God and say, look what they've done. You have to give me access to them. Uh, See, in covenant, it also means that if you come against Chris, you can't get there without going through me. And this is supposed to be the posture of the body of Christ. Because not also are we in covenant with Him. We are covenant brothers and sisters together. And so in the body of Christ, instead of receiving an accusation against a brother, you should be standing and repelling that on their behalf. Because you are also in... Wait a minute. If you claim to be in Christ... And you are part of his body. Then their name is also written in your hand. And so when they come, you just go, hey. I said it Tuesday night. Jesus was the original. Talk to the hand. (laughs) Before you present accusation, you tell the hand that they're not covered. You tell the hand that they're not saved. You tell the hand that they're not healed. You tell the hand that I won't come through them with my provision. You tell the hand that I won't deliver them. You tell the hand that I won't fulfill my word to them. You tell the hand that I will break my covenant with them. Because their name is written in my hand.